I'd like to begin this podcast by recognising the traditional owners of the land in which it is recorded. I pay respect to their elders past, present and those emerging. Don't worry about it. If you want to take a call during it, that's absolutely fine. I'm going to order a pizza. <laughs> there was someone that I saw in a cinema a little while ago that took a call and um, and went, no, I can talk. I was like, no, you oh, absolutely cannot. You absolutely no, you, you, cannot. You absolutely cannot. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Nature or Nurture, the podcast where I ask fascinating people key milestones on what made them who they are today. I'm joined by comedian, broadcaster, actor, podcaster, mm-hmm. comedian. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I said that. You said that one. Okay. Jess Perkins. Welcome. That's right. Thank you. That's right. Do you like being, what, what do you prefer to be called? Um, that's a good, that's a good question. I don't really know. I, I never know what to, um, like on customs forms. Yep. I'll just write media. Is that it? Or just journalist media. sometimes. Yeah. Because uh, not that anybody's checking that. Yeah, sure. If there's something that somebody's going to check, I don't yeah. want to have conversations about it. No. I don't want to try and explain what you do. What I do. Yeah. If I'm overseas, especially because I work at Triple J, yep. which is an Australian uh, nationwide mm. radio station. Okay, stop breaking. It's nationwide, Sam. I understand. Everyone in Australia gets it, no matter where you are. Okay. You can change the frequency. You can dial in. You can get it. You can listen from overseas if you want. But, um, yeah, trying to explain it, I'm always like, ah, oh, so I work it. It's like, I guess it's kind of, it's well known. You don't know it, but anyway. Um, so I guess I'd just say comedian and podcaster. Comedian. Yeah, comedian podcaster. Yeah. Well, the question I ask to start the podcast is I ask if nature or nurture has influenced you more. Oh, man. I mean, both. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. As with everybody. Yeah. Uh, but probably, I would probably lean more towards nurture, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Just because, so like nature is always like genetics, your family. Mm. Um, and, and obviously I'm very much like, I'm so like my dad in a lot of ways and I, there's glimmers of my mom in there as well. Um, but I think I'm seven years younger than my older brother. Yeah. I'm 30 years younger than my parents, I'm I'm half their age right now. Yeah. We have completely different views on everything. Yeah, now. yeah. And so I think just the the environment I put myself into work-wise in particular and yeah. then socially from there sort of has, has, has shaped me probably more so now than my upbringing maybe. Yeah. Where'd you know. grow up? I grew up in the mean streets of One Turner South, and then Mount Waverley, the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, um, which is rare. Rough. It's rare in a in a, in the comedy, the Melbourne comedy scene. Yeah, it's rare that somebody is born and raised in Melbourne. Yeah, more yeah. often than not, it's like, oh yeah, I came from Perth, came yep. from Sydney, came from Adelaide. I'm Always like, always nah. out of us. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, nah, babe. <laughs> Born and raised, <laughs> okay? It's where my audience and my fans are from. I grew <laughs> my, up with them. My fans, okay, hey, my parents. Your parents. Yeah. What What were you like as a kid? What do you think a young Jess Perkins was like? I was asking my parents about this lately because mm. um, I think my memories of young me are very different to how I actually was because yeah, I'm sure. remembering everything through the lens of how I felt. And so I would have said that I was a fairly awkward, kind of shy yeah. um yeah, a bit more reserved kid. And then in talking to my parents, they're like, what are you talking about? You're always doing little plays for us. Because I asked them if they were surprised 
when in like early high school, I got really into drama. Right. And okay, performing yeah. and stuff like that. And I was like, you're like, I was so shy. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, well, that must have been such a shock. Yeah. You know, coming from your, your quiet little darling. And they're like, <laughs> your what little are princess. you talking about? Yeah. You were feral. You were so noisy. Yeah. Like my mum even tells, tells me that like when my brother was a baby, like a toddler, she would have to constantly go check on him because he would just be playing quietly. She never had to check on me because she could tell where I was in the house because I was singing. I was talking to myself. I had my dolls. They were having an interesting life. You were always like a Triple J kid because you were everywhere. (laughs) I was everywhere. You could hear you everywhere. You could tune in from (laughs) anywhere in the house. (laughs) You go in the backyard, where is she? I can pinpoint her. What were your plays like when you were little? Oh, detailed. Mm. I actually remember getting um, told off. Mum was in another room. Why am I sharing this? Mum was in another room. I was playing Barbies with somebody. And um, I think I... Someone ma- you knew, not a Someone stranger. I knew. Yeah. There was, I was, you know, a friend was over. And I think I was making the Barbies do something a little bit scandalous. Okay. And my mum just went, Jess, in the other room. And I was like, whatever. Such a prude. I don't need this. Come on. Yeah. Barbie needs to get some. <laughs> Were you doing – Barbie has feelings too. Barbie has she feelings. She has needs. Barbie has so many needs. <laughs> what were you – yeah, so your plays, were they were they actual plays that you'd sit, make your parents sit down and – I don't think I did that heaps. I remember yeah. um, I remember some family friends, we were like staying out at their house. I had this beautiful house out in the country and like three families were all there staying and all the other kids, they wanted to like put on a play for our parents. Yeah. And I remember feeling – really embarrassed to go out onto the deck where all the parents were and perform my bit. And it wasn't that I was shy. It's that (laughs) I thought the quality of the play was was embarrassingly low. I was like, this is a play made by children. (laughs) How embarrassing. I think I even kind of had the self-awareness that parents aren't interested in this. Sure. They are smiling politely. They don't want to see this. Yeah. So even... (laughs) What a pretentious the self-awareness, asshole. though. Of, I guess. Yeah. But maybe it was also a little bit of embarrassment. But there was probably it has to come from that self-awareness of like, this isn't good. Yeah, yeah. And they don't want to see this. So I didn't have that when I was uh, little and, and my uh, neighbour, Ev, would come and watch everything that I'd do and i put on like a puppet play. And I remember her once, like, me and my friend Zach just being behind, like we built this little, it was just a table with a cloth on it. I was mm. going to say built, but we didn't really build anything. Just got a table. We got a table and put a cloth on yeah, it. But you um, had end to, of. Yeah, you yeah. had to build that cloth onto it. <laughs> That's right, we oh. built it. And it was just there. And we were behind it, you know, the the whole the whole time just waiting and Ev would come in and I think my brother would stamp her ticket. And right. She'd come in and there was a few seats we put out. And <laughs> Take a seat, Ev, Ev, whichever one you like. Ev would be walking in mm. and would walk around going, wow, this is so professional. Oh this is – and laughed loud, but would always – which was kind of a delayed laugher, so you'd make a joke, what you thought was a joke, and then like it would be like a few beats and yeah. it would be like, oh. <laughs> oh. From Ev every time. Oh, Ev. And 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 those sorts of people when you're growing up that treat you like more like an adult than a kid. Did you have yeah. someone like that that you remember treating you like you were funny and like an adult? Yeah, I think um uh I remembered recently that like one of my parents' friends who was something like fifteen years older than them, like they met through right. the tennis club. Course. His name was Ian. I mean, he still is called Ian. He's alive. Um, he, I remember being like a teenager 
and realizing that I liked when they came and, and visited because Ian talked to me like an adult. He involved me in the conversation. Yeah. And because it, it was kind of that that age where you can't quite follow the adult conversation, but you're not you're also not really interested in the kids conversation yeah. if you're like Christmas, family Christmas and you're sort of stuck in between. Yeah. And I liked that Ian sort of made me feel like I was part of the conversation rather than just sitting at the table <laughs> until I was excused. Yeah, just like, playing can with I slime. go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> playing with slime, 15. Yeah. Talk about slime, Ian. You're playing with slime now. It's actually pretty sick. <laughs> um, yeah. And I also had a cousin, um, Ted. Again, still have that cousin and his name is still Ted. Um, and he as well, I reckon at about 13, I we were, you know, some sort of family function and I said something, it made him laugh and he said something along the lines of like, oh, God, Jess, you've got to be a comedian when you grow up. You're so funny. And hearing that from an adult who I thought was so funny yeah, and who yeah. I loved so much, yeah. I was then like, oh, my God, can you believe it? So before we get to you going into drama, mm. when you said before that you're a little bit like your dad, maybe mm. a little bit like your mum, what does that mean? How? What parts do you think you took from your dad and what do you think you took from your mum? It's hard too, isn't it, because we have different relationships with, with our parents. So sometimes you see the traits you don't like in them and yourself yeah. and, you, and you don't like that. I think I'm. I've always been told I look like my dad. Um, every time I would see my family doctor growing up, he'd be like, God, you look like your dad. I'm like, yeah. I'm 20 and I don't want to look like a 50-something yeah. grey-haired, round yeah. man. Yeah. Like, I don't want to look like that. Yeah. Thank you very much, doctor. Um, you were fun. You're always fun. A lot of fun. Easy going. Yeah, yeah. He's like, all right, chill out. Yeah. Trying to be nice. See, being your doctor since you were a kid, just trying to be freaking nice for once. Um, yeah, so I think in dad it's like, um, probably humor for sure. Both my parents are very funny, but dad is like, um, mum sort of sits back and, and appreciates the joke. She's yeah. not really like in there. Dad's really, he, he's a salesman. So he's got the gift of the gab. He yeah. thinks he's incredibly funny and he is pretty funny. Um, but yeah, he's sort of got that kind of that classic extrovert. And I think for a long time, because I saw so much of my dad in me, I was a bit disappointed that I didn't see mum. And yeah, I, and I sure. was like, "Come yeah. on, like where?" Because I adored my mum yep. so much, and she's such a nurturer and uh, so empathetic, and just like just a just a great person. I love her so much. So yep. I was kind of like, "Oh, I want to see a little bit of that in yeah, me." Yeah, yeah. And I finally, I told her this too at the time. I finally saw it, um, and it was nice because my mum is really good in a crisis, so she has always been like when I was growing up playing sport, when somebody got injured, all the other parents were like, where's Annie? Yeah. And mum had swan in. She's like, all right, here's what we're doing. Here we go. Checking this. She just knew what to do. Yeah, yeah. She's really calm. My dad in a crisis is just like panic stations, like just a headless chook. He's yeah. just like, whoa, Flailing. he's so flustered. Yeah. Whereas mum's just like cool, calm. Yeah. And uh, my my partner's dad was really sick and he was in hospital and I saw mum in me finally yeah. in that I was cool and calm. I knew what to do. Yeah. I was sort of looking after everybody else, reading the room really well, knowing who needed space, knowing who needed to go for a walk, knowing mm-hmm. who needed, you know. And I was like, I messaged mum and I was like, I finally see 
you in me and it's yeah. a really nice part. Yeah, that's so nice. So that was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. So when you went into drama, mm. are you thinking that was a big shock for everybody yeah. <laughs> involved? Can you believe it? What uh, What was the first thing that drew you to drama? Um, It's funny, I don't really even remember like year seven, year eight drama. Yeah. I don't remember what we were doing. I think it, I think in those years in like high school drama, it's just games. It's a lot yeah. of theatre sports, isn't yep. it? You're playing a lot of Space Jump. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Always fun. Always good fun. Everyone's and, good at it too. Oh, everyone's so fun at it. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, I think it's just kind of playing theatre sports and getting used to like being a bit more vulnerable, being silly, being yeah. loose, whatever. Um, the first kind of play that we did we did um, – the school put on this, like, big production, hired out a like, a big hall somewhere and they put on – it was, like, year 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 or, or something like that. Mm. I was in year 9. I played this sleazy um, – it was a it was a commedia dell'arte and I was this sleazy guy named Spavento. I had, like, a, a moustache drawn on with, um, with liquid eyeliner yep. and I think a little goatee. And, yeah, that was sort of my first – my first play, and it caused stirs. Like, why is that? I, um, I was breathtaking. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> but it gave me a reputation. Like, um, it, it put me on the map at my yep. school, which yeah. is so funny because it meant so much to me at the time. And now I'm like, cool. People yeah. at school knew who I was. But I think, yeah, I asked my parents recently. And I was like, well, how did that feel? And they were like, it wasn't a shock. I think I wanted them to be like, "Wow, yeah, she's yeah. really good at this," and they're like, "No, you were always, yeah. you were always like performing." So it wasn't a surprise that yeah you could do it. I was like, "Oh, okay, okay." I was kind of hoping Next I question. really wowed you, yeah. but <laughs> what, whatever. What did you want to do at that point? Do you think? Um, so year seven, we had I forgot what the book was called. We had to make this sort of um, it was like a scrapbook. And it was like, what I want to be when I grow up. Right. And what, well, that was one of the pages. And yeah. I gave myself three options. Mm-hmm. I wanted to play basketball for Australia. Yep. Wanted to be an actor. Yep. Or a nurse. Okay. Or all three. And that was ambitious. That last one was a little <laughs> yeah, ambitious. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you can do multiple things in your life. That's right. Absolutely. There's still time. And different shifts. Different shifts. <laughs> they all work out. I can play basketball Moonlight. in the day. Yep. That's right. And then off to my nursing shift at the hospital. An acting nurse. An acting nurse. Not a real one. No, God, no. Yeah, those were sort of what I wanted to do. So there was obviously something, some kind of pull mm. towards performing early. Yeah. But I also wanted to help people. So I, that's why I was kind of, I wanted to be a nurse. And even when I was at uni, like I, my first year of uni was at um, the Australian Catholic University and I was mm. studying metering, no, what was it called? Creative Arts and Culture was the mm. name of my degree. Mm. Creative Arts and Culture. It was just an arts degree, but you had to major in something creative. Sure. In my drama classes and stuff, we would read plays. That was it. You couldn't act them. No. We would read them out. And I was like, I hate this. So I was <laughs> I looking I was looking to transfer and I was looking around at other unis and I even looked at like doing paramedicine and being a paramedic because I just wanted to help people. Yeah. And I I have gone on to do nothing that helps anybody. <laughs> a completely self-serving career. I think I think that's like with podcasting and we've chatted about this a bit like you know when you actually meet people who listen to the things it's 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 very different to what you think it is mm. a lot a lot of the time people have great stories about when they listen to something that you did or, yeah you know, i have a comedy podcast and every time i meet people from it it means a completely different thing i i think it's just sitting in a room with two friends every week yeah and it's not that and yeah. it doesn't mean that to a lot of people yeah and, 
Particularly yeah. in the last few years going through yeah. a global pandemic and people yeah. being stuck in their houses, being mm. a lot more confined in everything they were doing. A lot yeah. of people found a lot of solace in in music and yep. in podcasts and in yeah. all this art that people have always been outputting. Yeah, yeah. But maybe other people just didn't quite have the, the capacity to to take it. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and people would have heard me just say, I don't help anyone. And they'd be like, yeah. I've literally emailed you saying you've helped me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it just feels less direct or less immediate or less yeah. tangible, I think. Yeah. Do I can't you, be like, you had a big old cut on your leg and I fixed you right up. Yeah. yeah. I remember watching a documentary years ago about women in comedy. A lot of men in comedy said it was a job mm-hmm. and most of the women said it's not a job and it's silly. <laughs> you know, and I always thought, oh, yeah, that's, you know, I, I find the same asking men or women to come on the podcast. I find men always say yes and women don't say yes as much. Like, you know, I've huh. kinda, I think sometimes find it hard to think that they've got something to talk about sometimes. Yeah. You know, and men are always so happy to say, I can talk for an God, hour. I've got or, opinions. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all interesting. <laughs> that's right. And valid yeah. and true. Yeah, yeah. And worthy <laughs> Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And there was also something, um, a conversation when I sort of first started comedy um, around how like when women first start comedy, they'll write their five minutes and they'll rehearse it and they'll perfect it and it will take them longer from yeah. deciding I'm going to try stand-up to actually trying it. Whereas yeah. often, and that's not always the case, of course. Mm. Not everything's quite so binary or like, you know, uh, general, but um, you would find that guys would sort of like just jump up and give it a crack. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's kind of the same thing. Like if I'm going to get up and do stand-up, then it has I have to be good already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think there is – do you think what you do is a job now? Yeah. yeah. Now I do. Yeah. I think I had to change the way I thought about it. Yeah. Because I was driving myself – like I was burning the candle. Mm. I was I was – working a full-time job plus uh, overnight shifts on radio plus mm. a podcast plus stand-up. Yeah. Um, yeah, when it, when it sort of – I was able to ditch the full-time job, I had to kind of change my mindset yeah. so that I could separate work and life. Yeah. Which it gets, I think is more important as you get a bit older, or it, it definitely was for me anyway. Mm. When I first started and I was like 24, 25, yep. um, that was my whole social circle as well. Yeah. Was all the people I'd met in comedy. And so I didn't care that it was like weird hours or it was, you know, six days a week or whatever, you know, across a bunch of different activities, whether it was podcasts or um, writing with people or doing gigs or whatever. Yeah. Whereas now I sort of, I have to separate and I have to try to have a bit of a balance and a bit Mm. of an actual life because I'm in my thirties now and I've got a you know an apartment I like living in and a space I like being in and responsibilities and just I want to be a person not just well, you what I do for you work. Like hanging out with you God, like you know. yeah yeah, yeah. A cute dog yeah and yeah I do like hanging out with my partner and sometimes it feels silly prioritizing that and then I'm like no 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 that's your life yeah I'm not going to get to the end of my life and be like fuck I wish I'd recorded more podcasts yeah I'm not yeah <laughs> when when someone says to you oh what you do has meaning to me mm. how does that make you feel um it's a bit it's lovely it's also a bit surreal mm. and there's a I think there's a little part of me that kind of uh, and it's not fair to the person who's saying it, but I think I kind of, uh, I kind of brush it off a little bit. 
I think I'm sort of dismissive of mm. their feelings. Yeah. Not to their face. Like, I'm always like, thank you so much. Like, it's so lovely. But there's a part of me that's like, why? Yeah. What yeah. do you mean? Yeah. Just, just like, you know, it's just me and two guys yep. just being a bit silly and telling a little story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, it, it is really nice to hear. Mm. And people have, have reached out and said all sorts of really lovely stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, it's like it, uh, it's, it's a moment of, oh, that's nice. And yeah. then it doesn't stay with me. I don't yep. hold on to it. And I wish I could because uh, there's obviously a lot of moments where you feel like what, like I'm, everything I'm doing is for nothing yeah. or it's pointless or what a silly job to have. Yep. And it's in those moments you wish you remembered that some people really like it. Yeah, yeah. And you are like, you know, some people really look forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so what was the shift for you to start looking at comedy rather than the three other jobs you wanted to do back-to-back <laughs> full-time? And it was, well, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I juggled – it was mostly the podcast, to mm. be fair. The podcast sort of – it came about – so the podcast I do for anybody – I've realised I've just started talking about a podcast. I do a podcast called Do Go On with Matt Stewart and Dave Warnicky. And um, I remember the first one they did. So I've been friends mm. with Dave for a really long time. And Matt, not as long, but but kind of met Matt through stand-up. Like I met yeah. – I think I met you before you had even done yeah. stand-up. I think you came to a show that Dave Warnicky and I were doing yep. together. And then you – I'm not meaning to tell you your history here, but Please. when we um when we did like just the saying before, like that men really like going on podcasts <laughs> and the guy, I don't know why. But when I remember when, yeah, you first met you, I remember Dave and Matt had recorded an episode on Burke and Wills. Mm. I remember. Yep. And they weren't sure what was missing. Yeah. And obviously it was you, it but was me. Yeah. But so from that, so they started this podcast together. Then how did it come? How did how did you get involved? I think, and they'd recorded like two episodes just to sort of try some stuff out. And uh, and I understand why it didn't quite work because mm. the format of the show is that one of us researches a topic, sort of writes up like a school report, brings it back to the others and tells them about it while the other two kind of bounce off each other and go on tangents and, and riff along. And when you're the person doing the report, as we call it, um, it's really hard to like get carried away in a riff because you're trying to keep the structure of the show going. And so when it's just two of you, it would have just felt like Matt going, yep, and then this happened and Dave going, wow, yeah, and then and then the, this happened. Oh, yeah, cool. You know, so you, you needed a third person. And I'd met both of them through – I was doing radio at Sin and um, I think even by that stage I'd done my web series as well. Um, yeah, because that was before I even did comedy. So I, I did a web series in 2014 um, called First Date with Jess where I interviewed a bunch of comedians, um, yourself included. And that was really fun. But that was sort of before I was doing stand-up. I sort of got into stand-up from there. And then when Matt and Dave did their first couple of episodes of their podcast, their podcast, um, it was at the time, they realised something was missing and they sort of thought, well, we, I think we need a third person. And I think... You know, let's say Dave said, what about Jess Perkins? And Matt said, yeah, I was going to say the same. So then they asked me and I sort of went, oh, yeah. No idea what a podcast really was. It was still early days for podcasts, but I was like, that sounds like a bit of fun. Yeah, yeah. That should be all right. We had no idea what it would become. If you told me then you'll have a joint bank account with Matt Stewart and Dave (laughs) Warnicky in a few years, I'd be like, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) What do you mean? So, yeah, it, um, it kind of blew up. In a, in a great way. Were you surprised? Oh, of course. 
again, because podcasting wasn't that big yet. Mm. And, and we were so lucky that we had other people with very successful podcasts support us and like talk about our show on their show. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Nick Mason and uh, Mr. Sunday Movies with their show, The Weekly Planet, talked about us. I think they had Matt on um, and Nick Mason came on to our show and, and that just boosted us right up. Yeah. We just suddenly had listeners. Yeah, yeah. We're like, holy shit, people are listening to this. When did you first realise? Um, I don't remember. I wish I, I wish I had like a, like an aha moment. But I think it, it kind of it grew. There was like a, a burst, and then it's just grown really gradually mm. ever since. But yeah, being able to like start up a Patreon and earn some money from it yep. and support the show and support our business and stuff was mm. like completely mind blowing. Yeah, like that's crazy. When you were in school, when did you start liking comedy and want to get in that oh, world? I think I always loved comedy. Yeah. I always leant towards like comedy films and, and sitcoms and TV shows like that. I what loved, did you like? Um, I, well, like what I can remember liking as a teen was a lot of like sketch comedy. Like I loved Skit House. Mm, mm. I loved Skit House so much. And then even the shows that were kind of around – when I was a bit younger, sort of watching them a bit in retrospect, like Big Girl's Blouse and all those sorts of shows with... Um, you watched Comedy Inc. Yeah, yeah, yeah a bit yeah, of Comedy yeah, Inc. Yeah. And, and that's what I loved that. And I loved the comedy festival and I would drag my parents into the city to see a bunch of shows because I needed a guardian with me. What did you like? Um, I was a huge Tripod fan. Wow, yeah, yeah. Massive. And yeah. I think there was a shift for me too because I, I their shows alternated... Yep. In that they would sort of do shows where it was just um, like the three of them on stage with their guitars and they'd just sing their songs. And then yep. it, kind of every second year for a while there, they would do a big narrative show. Yeah. And it would be a play. It was a play. And they like they used shadow puppets in a couple of them and they had props and they there was this whole narrative throughout it and it was yeah. so fun. And as a kid who was really enjoying drama classes, mm. I was like, oh, so this can be – like how you do comedy and how this can be your job. This is yeah. what your shows can be. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I did, I did that for years of like dragging my parents into the comedy festival to see all these acts and then I got old enough to go by myself and I did for ages and then I stopped and I think I wanted to be a, a writer. I wanted I studied journalism. Yep. I was like, I'm going to work in magazines. <laughs> Why magazines specifically? Just magazines. I'm going to go to Sydney. I'm going to work on Pitt Street where all the women's mags are. K-Zone, Dolly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Cosmo. All those really great magazines that were so good for young women to read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's what I thought I would do. And uh, I didn't. But then I I, I had a breakup. I had a a, a nearly six-year relationship breakup when I was like 24. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was suddenly entirely responsible for what I was doing. And what I mean by that is I used to kind of go like, oh, I, I wouldn't mind like trying this out. What do you reckon? And he was such a good guy. Yeah. And he was like, that's great. You'd be so good at that. We'd go to comedy shows and I'd leave having loved it, but I'd also feel melancholy because I'd be like, I just want to do that. I think I could do that. And he was like, you could. But just n- that validation was just never enough. Yeah. So I never did it. And then we broke up and I was suddenly on my own and I had to just back myself. And it was the best sort of growth I could possibly have had at that time in my life mm-hmm. in that now I just had to back myself. So I was like, oh, I'd quite like to 
you know, do this training course at Sin and, and give radio a go. And I just went and did it. And then there was a comedy show called In Joke that was looking for a host. And I was like, well, I like comedy. Mm. I'll give that a crack. Yeah. And I did that. And then I started to meet. We had Matt on to interview him mm. and we had Dave on to interview him. We had Oliver Clark on to interview him. And I was like, oh, these people are so good. Yeah, yeah. We had Dill in to interview him and uh, he kind of like, I said I'd sort of thought about um, signing up for Raw Comedy. Yeah. Which is part of the comedy festival. You sort of, um, yeah, you, you, it's for people who are brand new to stand up. Yeah. I said, oh, yeah, I'm kind of thinking about doing that. I don't know. And again, the same thing of like, oh, I'm probably not very good. I couldn't do it. Yeah, Why would yeah. I do it? And Dude was just like, just fucking do it. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. And I gave it a crack and it went really, really well for me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it went really well. No, but like, it, you know, I was really lucky and and fortunate in that my first ever gig went really well. And I went, I got all the way through and I went to the national final yep. at Town Hall in front of 1,200 people. And mm. that ex-boyfriend came and watched yep. and saw me do that. And I was like, what a freaking full circle. Yeah. You know, like what a, what a year of growth that was. Did you just want to do that after, after that experience? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it was, um, you know, it introduced me, it was a good way to, for me to be introduced to other people in the comedy community. I met lots of people and they said, hey, come do gigs, you know. And I, I was intimidated by stand-up gigs. I didn't know yeah. what the logistics of the place was. I was like, where do you go? Where do you stand? Who yeah, do you talk yeah, yeah. to? Where do you sign up? All that sort of rubbish. And so just having just a few people be like, hey, come do this gig. And knowing a couple of faces, it just opened everything up. It was huge. Did you Did you enjoy that world? Did you enjoy getting into that world? I felt like I'd found my people. Because I, f- I felt like I had a great group of friends through high school a few of which I'm still friends with. Yeah. Um, but particularly when, like, my my then boyfriend and I broke up because we sort of were all part of one big group of friends mm. and I'd also felt like I was growing out of it a little bit. I'd made some new friends at uni and, you know, I, I, I sort of moved away from that high school group. Mm. It was nice to then have that feeling of belonging to a group of people and yeah. I could walk into a stand-up room and I knew everybody. And I felt welcome and I felt like I belonged there. And so I loved it. Mm. And the first few years, the first couple of years in particular, I was just on top of the world, having a great bloody time. Yeah. Why yeah. did you stop doing stand-up? I hated it. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that I hated it. I think I, um, I think I needed a break. Yeah. And I think people got in my head a little bit about um, if you're going to be good at stand-up, you have to be gigging six, at least six times a week. Yeah. Every single week. Um, and if you can get in four or five gigs a night, even better. And I, so I got really in my head that you can't stop. You can't have yeah. a break. You can't even have a week off. You can't. And, and that's bullshit. Yeah. Um, if there's any young comics out there, have a freaking break. Yeah. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. You'll survive. Yeah. Um, the world will keep spinning. It's, it's okay. Yeah. I think I just sort of, yeah, I have got a much better understanding now of my own limitations and what I can actually handle, what my thresholds are. Yeah. And I think they're, they're probably a lot lower than other people because I'm spinning a lot of plates and I started dropping plates. Yeah. And I was exhausted. I wasn't enjoying it as much. Um, and I felt like I didn't have anything to say. So I had little breaks and I would sort of come back and do gigs for a little while and 
and I still really enjoyed it when I was doing it and then I'd just sort of have a break again and then I'd geared myself up. I I had put off doing a solo show for such a long time. Like I did raw comedy and then the next year I got into Comedy Zone, which is a showcase that the Comedy Festival puts on and I was so lucky to do that and I loved it. And then the year after that I did a split show with my friend Naomi and then the natural progression of that would be solo show. And so that would have been 2018 and I was like, no, nah, I'm not ready, but that's okay. In 2019, I'm like, you know what, I'm not – I could, but I'm not quite ready. And actually, I think I signed up – I applied for a venue for 2019 and then uh, out, stuff outside of comedy, life went to shit a little bit mm. and I just said, I, nah, I can't do it. Signed up for 2020. I was finally doing it. I've 90% written a show. We're getting a few weeks out of Comedy Festival for 2020. I've done trial shows. I've got a great poster. Yeah. It looks so funny. I'm like, this is going to be freaking great. I've got a venue. And then um, pandemic. And I was like, it's okay. That just means I have a year to make this show even better. Yeah. Because I, pr- I was like, this is going to be a fine show. Mm. Give it a year, I can make it an amazing show. Yeah. I did not open that script once. Pandemic happened. Comedy Festival cancelled. And I was like, well, <laughs> and I did not look at it yep. once. Comedy started to come back later in that year and sort of like on and off for a little while and I just did not go back to it. And now it's 2022 Yep. and um, still haven't done stand-up for a while. Um, yeah, it just kind of like it's been the longest gap, mostly yeah. not my fault, yep. but if I really wanted it, there were opportunities I could have taken and I haven't. Yeah, but you're going to at some point. You yeah, feel like I think that's so. still there. I feel like if I, if I never do – a stand-up show that's just mine. Yeah. That would be the only thing that I think I would regret later in my life, which is yeah. so stupid. Like what a, it's such a small petty thing, but I I think all of the work I do now is pretty collaborative and it's shared. Yeah. And I and I think I miss having something that's mine. Yeah. Just, you know, just something that just I work on and yeah. So I, I think it's something I will absolutely do. Yeah. But how good it'll be? Who knows? It'll be great. What It'll about, be fine. What, what about Triple J? How did um, how did all that come about? Um, great timing for a sip. Uh, that actually came about in a bit of a weird way. So I had done like a fair bit of radio. I, I did stuff on Sin, the Student mm-hmm. Youth Network. I did stuff over at Joy. I did breakfast there for a little while as well. And then um, I got a message on Twitter from a guy named Nick who was a producer at Triple J. Mm-hmm. And he was like, give me a buzz. <laughs> and I went, okay. If I got that message now, I'm not calling that number. Yeah. 100% no. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, whatever, dude. Yeah. I get some weird Twitter or Instagram DMs. Sure. I'm not calling that number. You're not opening the message. I'm sure he didn't just say, hey, call me. Yeah. But I think he explained <laughs> a little more what he wanted. But yeah. anyway, I got in touch with him and um, they were looking for somebody to sort of do like a recurring funny segment with the drive team on Triple J, yep. which at the time was Veronica and Lewis. As it turns out, I found out so much later, Veronica's husband, who works in comedy at ABC, mm-hmm. had seen my split show at the 2017 Comedy Festival with Naomi, mm. thought I was funny and said, you guys should get her on, she's funny. Yeah. So, like, like what are the chances? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I did, I did a segment with them for, um, like – all of 2017 pretty much. 
I think at the time, the first thing we did was text therapist. Mm-hmm. The people would uh, tell me their problems and I'd come up with solutions for them. They were always bullshit. Yeah. I think there was a running joke that I kept telling people to just get on a boat and sail away. That's great. Or to change their, to Mrs. Doubtfire a situation. Mm-hmm. I was like, just don a wig, do a funny Scottish voice. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. Um, Call Mrs. Doubtfire if it did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as long as you did. I, I haven't watched the film. Um, and then, yeah, by the time that sort of that summer period rolled around when they kind of need more casuals in to do stuff, I did a couple of demos and started doing the overnight shifts, which I did for three years. Yeah. Three years of 1 a.m. to 6 a.m., not every single day. So you mm. get into no rhythm. It was like once a week. It was awful. It was brutal. Yeah. Every time I went to see a doctor for anything in that time and they'd ask a few questions, be like, what do you do for work? And I'd explain it. They'd be like, well, that's, that's why. For everything. It was yeah. so bad for your body. Um, and then 2021, was it 2021? Yeah. I uh, I got to do, or I got to take over weekend arvos, which is what I currently do, which mm. is the best. It's it's for the first time since kind of just doing creative stuff, just radio, podcasting, comedy. It's kind of been the best work-life balance I've been able to have. Yeah. Which is nice. A best sort of like work schedule, I should say. I still don't have work-life balance because I just fit work into everything. Yeah. Because I'm stupid. But it's the best kind of, yeah, work schedule I have. Yeah. What do, you, what do your parents think? Oh, they think I'm pretty great. My parents have got two very different kids. My brother is a carpenter. He's very like practical and logical. He's very funny. He's yeah. wickedly funny. Yeah. But he's a bit more introverted. He doesn't sort of like to be the centre of attention. And, uh, and yes, he's just practical. Like he built the house my parents live in. Mm -hmm. He's useful. Yeah. And then there's me, (laughs) the little star. (laughs) Like, look what I did. (laughs) They listen to the podcast. They come to live shows. They, they, they love it. But I think they just wanted their kids to be happy, whatever form that took. Yeah. And I appreciate that because I think, I think I could be a huge disappointment to a lot of parents. (laughs) Do you yeah. feel, I mean, you, but you've found success in, in what you're doing. Yeah, and I think, I think success is very, um, very personal. Mm. Everyone measures it in very different ways. So I, I think I'm successful in that I can comfortably keep a roof over my head. Yeah. I have a, a really healthy relationship. I have a good circle of friends around me. Um, and I do my best to look after myself mentally, physically and whatever. I yeah. don't really give a shit about the career. Yeah, right. Yeah. How do you feel being the funny one? In my in in, in general. everything in general. Look, it's tough. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, you'd feel you'd feel it too. It's tough. It's when people are like, "Oh, we just need somebody to bring a bit of levity." Um, no, I think I my parents were very good. I remember from primary school, there were a couple of. Um, scenarios where like parents wrote letters to the kids like we went away on camp and our parents wrote us letters or stuff like that and I remember mum was mum it was always mum writing it not dad um but mum would always write about my sense of humor they talked Mm. it up a lot they they told me that I got jokes before adults did and and I was funny and so it just sort of became just something I just knew about myself yeah and I don't mean that in a cocky way I know it sounds quite arrogant uh, and trust me, I there's, you could not think less of me than I do, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, yeah, well, I'm funny. That was just it. So uh, I think I just can trust that in a, in social settings and stuff, I can read people well enough to make them comfortable. Yeah. 
and you know keep things light and friendly and happy. Yeah. But I, I don't. I don't feel pressure to to be funny all the time. Yeah. I'm not. I'm quite glum sometimes. Never Do you know. find it hard being the funny one in a relationship? Has that ever been a pressure? Uh, no. No, I um, my partner is very funny. Um, and I I wanted somebody who found me funny. Yeah. Because humor has always been such a huge part of my personality, how I communicate all of my relationships, like friendships, my relationship with my family. Yeah. Somebody who got my humor and who I got theirs was hugely important to me. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily, well, no, I am the funny one. Let's be real. I am the professionally funny one in the relationship, but he, um, he holds his own. He's very funny. Yeah. And the dog's pretty funny too. It's got good timing. Like, <laughs> well done. Very quick. Yeah. <laughs> I have questions I ask uh, on this podcast, standard questions. So the first question is, uh, what trait do you find the most admirable? In other people? Mm. Oh. I think, um, oh, fuck, that's hard, isn't it? There's lots of traits I admire in other people and I think it's often stuff that you either think you lack. It's usually stuff you think you lack. Yeah. I think um, there's there's people that I know that uh, just through their presence, just through how they talk, um, make you feel more empowered. I mm. think what it really is, I'm thinking specifically of Michelle Brazier mm-hmm. and I'm thinking – of how she makes me feel and I'm realising as I'm talking that it's her confidence. Yeah. Her confidence in herself and in who she is and in her own abilities. She will very happily, you know, she can comfortably admit that she's great at things mm. and I admire that because I find that hard to do. Yeah. So just that self-belief and self-confidence I think is really infectious Yeah. and, and builds other people up around you because when you're confident in yourself – you're not intimidated by other people. Yeah. So yeah. it's easier to build them up rather yeah, than sort of, you know, everybody, if everybody's just being self-deprecating, nothing gets done. Yeah. Confidence. What's uh, what's your favourite thing about yourself? <sighs> um, I think, I mean, probably I guess humour, but I, I, I would also kind of say resilience. Yeah. I think I'm, uh, I'm a very up and down kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I bounce back pretty quickly and I'm quite pleased with that. One of the first kind of times in my life that I felt knocked down was, um, it was like the end of high school mm-hmm. and I'd done my drama solo and I did very well in my drama solo, got a perfect score actually. And I got to audition for top class which um, huge, like huge opportunity. Yeah, like, yeah. It was that, like one percent or something. Like yeah. it's it was big. Um, and essentially, what top class is the best um, drama solos in the state get mm. to go and perform at this showcase. Yeah, and that's all I wanted. And now, as a thirty-two-year-old, I'm like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. But for 17, 18 year old Jess, it was everything. Mm. Like it was it was everything that I'd been working towards. And I got to the my audition and I stuffed it. And I didn't get through and I felt really knocked down and I didn't get up for a little while. Like my, you know, it's, it's an old saying of like fall down seven times, get up eight. Yeah. That time I not, I got knocked down and I didn't get up. And I think that was part of why it did. It took me so long between that and finishing school and, and doing that at 18 mm. to doing stand up, which I was 24, 25 by the time I did it. 
Whereas maybe I'd had would have had more confidence if I'd picked myself up quicker. I could have had more confidence to like get back into performing again, but I was mm. sort of like, no, nah, obviously I'm not very good. That's not for me. What um, was the room like when you stopped up? Oh, silent. Mm. It was just like a, I think I just started too quickly. I hadn't like taken the time to catch my breath and really settle myself. And, and it wasn't like a huge, like I didn't fall on my face. I just kind of fumbled over a couple of lines mm. and, um, there were obviously people that were better than me and they should have made it through the top class. Like it's it's really not a big deal. No. But um, yeah, I think for me in, in a little bit, it was sort of like, I, I think I'd been sort of top dog for a little while. I'd been a yeah. big fish in a small pond of my drama class. No mm. offence to anybody who's listening, but <laughs> none of you are actors now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got a lot of, got a lot of people doing other stuff. Um, yeah, I think, I think I just needed to, yeah, I, I think as I've grown up, something I've developed more is resilience. Yeah. I think I bounce back okay now. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is, it is interesting though. Like the, the, um, you know, moving, being such a small, was it small fish in a big pond? Is that what they say? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, big fish in a small big, pond. Big, big fish in a small pond. Yeah. When you are, you know, cause I grew up in a small country place yeah. and you are. Like you are that. And then when I moved to Melbourne and wanted to start doing stand-up, you're suddenly very, very, very small. And you're very are, average. Very like, average. There are so many people like you because Way you've all people. come to the city. Yeah. And there's people that are, yeah, just ahead of you, yeah. people that are slightly worse than you or whatever, but that can change. Yeah. And, yeah, it's strange. It's Going from strange. being like, oh, I'm clearly the best in this class, the teacher says so, Yeah. to, oh, I'm, I'm average. Yeah. I am and I have to work hard mm. to get better. Yeah. And having to work hard, I'm always like, why push myself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm no tired. thanks. Yeah. Uh, what's something about yourself that you would change? Um, my height. I'd love to be a bit taller mm. um, for the basketball thing. Oh, of course. No, I don't know. I um, Could get in the way of the nursing thing. Yeah, true. You can't yeah. have tall nurses. That's true. Probably confidence. Yep. I guess so. But I think it, nearly everybody could say that. Yeah. Confidence is a thing we all struggle with. And there's yeah. sometimes that I'm, you know, there's days you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, you are the hottest person yep. that has ever walked to this earth. And there's other days you're like, you're a worm. <laughs> you're nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, just a general a general increase to confidence and self-belief yep. would be very nice. Yeah. Oh, I could benefit from that. So could nearly everyone. Again, yep. very average. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you could choose to be born into an environment, what would that look like? And is that different from the environment, basically, that, that you grew up in? Um, I think I uh, – look, the only thing that I think I would change – and I think every generation does this, and that, like, we want to we want to parent differently to how we were parented. Yeah. Right? And the, at the moment, there's, like – you look on TikTok and everything's about gentle parenting. Yeah. And I think like the, the only things that I would have changed were just around conversations around uh, women's place and mm. and conversations around food and bodies and stuff like that. Yeah. I think those are things that are so deeply ingrained in us that they're really hard to shift as you get older. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I, I certainly don't have any issues with – the environment I grew up in. I grew up in a in a very stable middle class home with two loving parents. Uh, you know, like I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think I don't know. I, 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 there's small things you'd change or things you'd try to do differently, but I really don't know. Yeah. It's a tough one. Um, when are you your when are you at your happiest? 
and you've caught me at a time in my life where I am having one of those periods of like, what am I doing? What's the next step? Yeah. Where do I go from here? Is this is this it for my life? I literally have two different tattoos on my body, Sam. Two out of four that are reminders that these times in your life happen yep. and they pass sure. and not to panic. But mm-hmm. still when I'm in it, I'm panicking. Yep. So right now I can't think of a general thing of when I'm at my happiest, but I can tell you about a very happy recent memory. Yep. And it was when I was on holiday. I was in Hawaii and we went to a Dave and Buster's. Now for anybody listening in the US, they'll know what a Dave and Buster's is. It's just it's a sports bar. Right. Slash arcade. Right. And not just like a bar that has like a table tennis table. Like it is this huge massive room filled with arcade games. Guitar hero. Yeah. Shooty basketball shooty hoops. Love a shooty hoop. Racing cars. It had everything. It had Mm -hmm. air hockey and we like we'd gone there on purpose because we love to play air hockey. <laughs> so we're like, let's go play air hockey. Yeah. And we get there, and I'm, there's all these bright flashing lights around, and and we have nowhere we have to be because yeah. we're on holiday. Mm. I think that was mostly the nice thing that I was appreciating is yeah. that I didn't need. There was no deadlines. Yeah. I didn't have to rush home to get some work done. Yep. Um. So I was like, we've got all night. And we're going to load up this little card with far too much money. Yeah. And I'm going to play all these stupid games. And I literally, at 32 years old, was leaping for joy. Yep. I was so excited. Yeah. I had the best time. I fell in love with Guitar Hero that <laughs> night. And I keep asking if we could somehow get a game that hasn't been made for quite some time yep. now. I'm like, can we get it? Can we get it for our place? It'd be sick. I play Guitar Hero every night. That was my happiest. That's great. Uh, when when you say that you, when you kind of don't know where you want to be, mm. is that a general confidence thing? Like where do, where do you think that comes from? Yeah, I think so. And I think yeah. it also, um, I think it's pretty normal as well. And it's a frustrating thing about like when you meet goals. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, what's next? Yeah. That you very rarely get to or consciously just enjoy that you've, met a goal yeah. that you're somewhere that you wanted to be. It's sort of yeah. like, okay, yeah, great. i got my dream job. What's next? Yeah. And I think I worry a bit about, uh, especially working in like creative fields and in the arts, I worry about stability. Mm. So I'm sort of like, okay, well, yes, I'm I'm doing fine now and I'm, I'm making okay money and I'm, I can keep a roof over my head. But if I lose this job, what's next? So I have to already be thinking about what's next. Yep. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm at a bit of a place of like, what, yeah, just, I think it, honestly, what's missing is just hobbies or things that are just for me. Yeah. Not for like, you know, having to put out because it's my job, whether it's a, putting out a podcast or like input into radio stuff, just something that's just for me. I just need that. That's my goal for next year is just have something that's just mine. Just Apart for me. from stand up, what is that? I don't know. I was thinking um, there's a couple of like hobbies that I've kind of neglected over the past decade probably. I used to play like play music or um, not ne- never good like but I you know I learned the piano and stuff and I've taught myself to play guitar or ukulele and, but I've just haven't done it for such a long time. So mm. just having something that's just for me. Something yeah. kind of create a creative outlet. It's just mine. Yeah. Yeah. Um when are you at your lowest? Um, January's genuinely 
my psychologist noticed a pattern that at the start of every year I just have a little blue period. Right. I'm just a bit sad. Yeah. We don't really know why. Yep. No, but I mean, like, uh, there's there's no one particular scenario trigger time of my life that I'm low. I am prone to low mood and anxiety and I can't call it depression because um, mm. uh, depression is, uh, as my therapist said, is categorised by, like, low periods of two weeks or more and mm. mine usually come in around 10 to 12 days. <laughs> right. So don't even have depression. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I get quite down yeah. for stretches of time. Mm. Um, and I think just over years I've gotten better at recognising it and going, all right, well, <laughs> strap in, everyone. Yeah. But that doesn't impact my work output, which is right. a concern because I will – I will neglect everything else. I won't exercise. I won't sleep properly. I won't look after. I won't eat well. Mm. But podcast is going out, baby. Yeah. I'm rocking up to work. Don't you worry about that. So, um, yeah, there's, there's no particular time. It just sort of happens. Yeah. Uh, do you still have a lot of drive and ambition? Like what, what drives you every day? I, I do and I don't. I think... There was a shift for me a few years ago where I I don't think I have the same kind of drive career-wise. I think I yeah, I think a lot of my career stuff has come from other people giving me opportunities and I've taken them. Mm. I I've never actually been super driven. Yeah. And like really hustled for stuff. Yeah. But a few years ago, I was like yeah, there was just a big shift and, and I, I don't – I wouldn't necessarily call myself a super driven person. People would probably think that I am because of the amount of stuff that I put out. Yeah. But, um, yeah, a lot of that is obligation and not um, drive or passion. Yeah, right. <laughs> Contractual. <laughs> it's got to be done. Yeah. <laughs> if you could pinpoint a moment in your life that you think had the greatest impact or influence on you, what would that be? Yeah. Um, and I reckon it's probably it's it's what I was just talking about too. I reckon so when I first started dating Ablam, as you yeah. as you um, affectionately call him, my partner Aiden, um, within a few months, uh, his dad was diagnosed with brain cancer, mm. and um, you know, going through like something pretty full on really early in a relationship mm. can make or break, and it really solidified us, which was great. Uh, I guess it was an awful thing to solidify us, but it did. And then his, um, it didn't look good. And within, I think it was like 14 months later, um, his dad passed away. And he was the sweetest man. Mm. He was so lovely. He and Aiden were two peas in a pod. They were mm. just best mates. He was a great guy. I really hit the father-in-law jackpot. Yeah. And he was like mid-50s, really active, still playing soccer, had done everything right. And I say right in quotation marks mm. in that he, you know, went to uni, got a good job, they bought a house, you know, they bought a small apartment and then they upgraded to a bigger house and then they yeah. had this nice house out in like a good area of Sydney and he worked really hard but they had, you know, family holidays and he died at 55. Mm. And I was like, oh, nothing matters. All yeah. that kind of bullshit and all those milestones we put onto ourselves of like, well, 
you're 25, what do you mean you don't have a good job yet or you haven't settled down or, you oh, you don't have kids by 30? What do you, Like none of that matters. You can do everything right. Mm. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. So uh, that was a huge shift for me. And in a way I even recognised it at the time. I was like, I hope this isn't one of those lessons I learn and forget within a couple of months. You know how something's happening yeah. and you're like, wow, that really makes you think and then you never think about it again. This one has stayed with me. It's been four years and I still think about it all the time. Yeah. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Spend your money. And I'm not saying go buy yourself a jet ski. I'm just saying if you want to go on a holiday, save for it. You've got the money, go. Like live your life. Yeah. Because – just saving everything for retirement. Retirement is an absolute privilege that yeah. a lot of people don't even get to. And I don't know that I will. So, or like, I don't know that I'll live to be 90. I don't know if I can put off that holiday because I'll do it when I'm retired. I don't yeah. know that I'll get there. So that was the biggest shift for me for sure in that yeah. I just suddenly, my priorities completely changed. And rather than it being about work all my priorities became the people in my life. It was just my family, my friends, my partner, and trying to look after myself, not so that I don't get sick and I don't die, but just because I'm stuck in this body and I may as well enjoy the life that I have. So that was huge. If you could go back and tell a young Jess Perkins something, mm. do you think it would be that? <sighs> Maybe. Depends how young. I wonder at what age any of that would be of any significance. Because mm. you remember in like you're doing VCE or HSC and the teachers are telling you like don't worry about what score you get at the end of year 12 because give it yeah. a few months, it won't even matter. Yeah. Like it doesn't define you. But yeah. in that moment in your life it does. Yeah. And you're like what are you talking about? This is the most important thing that's ever going to happen to me. Yeah. And if I don't get the best score ever, I'm an idiot. And it's like. Yeah, so maybe I, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I'd just be like, you're all right. You're fine. Yep. Don't worry about it. Um, just keep being you. You're okay. I don't even know if I'd bother burden, burdening her with the stuff I've learned because it probably wouldn't help. I yeah. think you learn things when you need to learn them. Yeah. Or at least you you hold on to them when, you, when you're ready to. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a greatest moment of your career? So far, is there a moment when you kind of went, oh, wow, look what, you know, look what I've done? Yeah. I mean, I've been really lucky. I've done some really cool stuff. Mm. And I think I think we take that for granted a little bit or we forget it or we brush over it a little bit. Yeah. I've had some really cool gigs. Like, I mean, my seventh ever gig was the Raw National Final yeah. at Town Hall in front of 1,200 people. Yeah. And I remember, like, saying to my parents and friends, I was like, if I ever got to perform at the Melbourne Town Hall for an audience that size again, it's going to be 10 years minimum. Yeah. Yep. You know, like it takes – that's such a huge gig. Yeah. That's something that should happen to somebody way more experienced than me. I went back and did it the next year for Upfront and kind of went, Fuck, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. And I've got to do gigs in like – I had one of the best gigs of my life in Alice Springs – was it Alice Springs? No, it was Darwin. Mm. One of the best gigs of my life in Darwin on, on the Comedy Festival Roadshow where just like every little setup was getting laughs. And I was like, this is just an absolute cakewalk. It was yeah. so fun. I was so loose and relaxed. We got to perform all over the UK doing podcast shows. Again, to like big crowds. We are like, mm. this is nuts. Yeah. So I think I've had heaps. I've been so lucky in such a relatively short career 
to have some really wild moments that I don't stop and take take them in properly. You mm. know, I don't I don't appreciate them enough. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, I know that you find it a bit uh, weird to uh, be thanked for um, things, but uh, during all the pandemic times, I had a really, really, really rough pandemic mm. for for you know a creative project that went very sour. Yeah. And uh, you were one of the greatest supports. Oh, that's um, nice. During that time, and so yeah, I hope that you know that that you are that person to a lot of people, and you've yeah, you've really made people feel different. I think it's nice too that um, the pandemic weirdly yeah really like brought out some and solidified some friendships. Yeah, I yeah. feel like there were people I'd known for a long time, yourself included, Michelle Brazier, who I mentioned before. Yeah, known yeah. you both for so long, mm. but through that and through stuff like that happening, it really like. Yeah, it, it solidified some friendships and and kind of forged them into like, oh, these aren't just like yeah casual comedy friends. Like these are oh, these are my people. Yeah, and that was lovely. Yeah. So you too, babe. <laughs> you too, babe. <laughs> uh, so at the end of the podcast, I say uh, nature or nurture. So mm. do you feel like it is a bit of both? Of course. Yeah. Of course. I don't think it could ever possibly just be one. Mm. But um, you know, I'm not who I am without the influence of my family. Yeah. But I'm also not who I am without the influence of teachers I've had. Yeah. Through high school, I had some incredible teachers without friends, without relationships that mm. went sour, without friendships that fell apart yeah. for various reasons. Like, yeah, I think I think it's probably absolutely both, but maybe a little more towards nurture. Yeah. Um, Jess Perkins, thank you for coming on the podcast. If people want to find you and every wonderful thing that you do, how do people find you? If people want to find me mm. after listening to that, to me just waffle for an hour, Oh, my God. What an angel they would be. Um, uh, Instagram's probably the best place to find me because mm. I'm in my 30s. It's the, the the social media I'm the most active on. TikTok, don't bother. Um, yeah. I'm too old for it. You're not be old enough real? to be on Facebook. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In the too comments. Too old for Facebook. Yeah. You know those people on Facebook that just, they're posting all the time. I'm like, who do you think this is for? Nobody's here. No one's here. I love people here. that just share things yeah. nonstop. Just yeah. constantly. Oh, here's another picture of my kid. All right. Um, yeah. Oh, and you do go on Simply the Jess, your two podcasts. That's right. Yeah, you can do that. Jess Perkins on Instagram. Do go on and Simply the Jess. Um, you'll, you'll find them on Instagram as well. Jess Perkins, thank you for joining me on the podcast. A pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm so sorry. Thank you for listening to Nature or Nurture for this week. My name is Sammy Peterson and you can follow me, SamPeterson91, on Instagram. I also have a comedy podcast called Confessions. You can find that. The handles are Confessions, the podcast on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook. You can also just search it on your regular podcast apps. Please do rate this podcast. Uh, I would love that. It helps get the podcast out there to so many people. Thank you to the wonderful Michelle Laurie and Matthew Tankard. They're, they're great producers and I couldn't do this without them. Please do share this podcast around. I'd love to get it out there to as many people as possible. So please do share it with a friend and tell the person that you just heard on this podcast that you really enjoyed hearing their chat. Thank you so much. Hope you have a good week and I will talk to you very, very soon. Goodbye. 
Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.